0: Of Vikings lose to the Cincinnati Bengals in overtime. Purple Insider podcast Matthew Collar along with Sam Ekstrom. Sam, um, you were trying to write an instant reaction that was your assignment for today, and um, that was pretty hard because of how this one went back and forth all the way to the end of the game, and it ended in sadness.
1: Yeah, there was really the gamut of emotion in this one. Um, I think first half it's total system failure. I think by end of regulation, you're you're just hoping to survive and get out of a road game with a win in which you trail by 14, regardless of of the opponent. That would have felt really good. And then the controversial Dalvin Cook fumble, you know, as I wrote, it grabs defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, we're probably looking at another Greg Joseph kick for the win, and it never came to fruition. This game reminded me, Matthew, a lot of. The Green Bay tie mm-hmm. in 2018 yes. with the, the furious rally late and then kind of the, the anticlimactic overtime, except in this case, they lose at the very end and the opponent is much worse. Like this is the Bengals, right? It, it only gets harder from here. So uh, altogether, a pretty discouraging performance, devastating loss and um, plenty to discuss.
0: All right, so, right, there's always so many things that are kind of going through my head when I first turn on the recorder here. So let me just say this, that the offensive line was always going to be a concern. It was always going to be unknown, as Mike Zimmer said, until we actually saw it on the field. And my expectation for it this week was that it was going to have some troubles at times because Cincinnati has some good players on their defensive line and uh, they got Trey Hendrickson in free agency. They spent a bunch of money on him and DJ reader, they picked up. So they had done a lot to try and improve their defensive line. But what I did not expect, Sam was, five false starts i think four holdings unless there were more in the second half maybe it was five holdings um i did not expect from the very outset of the game from the offense and the offensive line to not even be able to snap the football at the right time and that right there you know we talked about throughout the training camp and and preseason just how not on the same page everything was now we didn't see a bunch of false starts in um, training camp and preseason but there was always this sense of people kind of going this way and that way and not really being on the same page and that showed up right away and the other thing that showed up right away is Rashad Hill is absolutely a swing tackle. He is not a starting left tackle in the NFL, and now it's going to get even harder as it goes forward. Chandler Jones had five sacks today in Arizona's game, and they won handily. Uh, they also have J.J. Watt on their football team. And then it's not long before you get Miles Garrett in here. It's not long before you get T.J. Watt in here. I, I mean, this it, you you have to be looking at Christian Dariusaw going, uh, get ready fast, kid, because that was as rough as you're going to see a day for a left tackle. We haven't seen anything like that since the T.J. Clemming time.
1: Yeah, I almost feel bad for Rashad Hill. Like we wrote about him this week. He, he said he was so much more focused than he was in 2018. And I think both of us, right, had had kind of talked him up. We said, hey, like this guy has has done this now for so long. He's a more mature player. He works really hard, and everybody loves him. And the team keeps bringing him back, so the team must love him. So there's a reason why he's here. And then that happened. Um, you, you almost feel bad for the guy, but it was, and it wasn't just him. Every single offensive lineman was penalized. Every single one. So that's a that's a O line penalty bingo blackout bingo. Um, and I think Thielen mentioned this post game. They were averaging a third and 21 in the first half. And I think he's correct because I've got written down third and 26, third and 20, third and 15, third and 24, third and 20, third and 24. Those were the conversions they had. And they would have had a third and 19 if, um, if the cousin sack in the red zone doesn't get wiped out by that defensive holding call. So, I mean, it was hideous, man. It was holding, false start. Uh, interior pressure, the first half was so abysmal. And the crazy thing, Matthew, and this can maybe lead us into, you know, some defensive talk too. Th- they are up seven, nothing at the two minute warning in yeah. spite of all of that. And then two blunders by Breeland basically lead to two scores.
0: So yes, we'll get there uh, along the offensive line though. We saw a lot of the same things that we have seen forever. Like Rashad Hill, when he plays too much, it can be problematic. Garrett Bradbury gets pushed back right into the lap of Kirk Cousins uh, on a, 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 what was it, third and 20 or something like that. It was like third and long, and then they're still having that happen, like getting Garrett Bradbury just picked up and lifted right back. Brian O'Neill is mostly fine, but Ole Udo Did not have a great day, committed a holding, committed a completely senseless penalty where he just jumped on a guy for no reason that put them back. And Ezra Cleveland at left guard may have had the toughest day of anyone. Now, it's hard until I don't mean to sound like the players, but it's hard until we watch back the game and look at it a little more slowly to see who made mistakes, who gave up sacks and so forth. But I think two of them were on Ezra Cleveland. So Kirk Cousins early in the game is behind the sticks. Under pressure, they can't run the football, and as always, if they can't run the football, then we just end up with not being able to score until they get down two scores, and then remember that Justin Jefferson plays for this football team, and I just feel like a broken record a little bit here in week one, Sam, where it's like, what are the problems? Well, your offensive line just pretty much across the board, except one guy. Uh, then you go to you know the same sort of things, not getting Justin Jefferson the ball enough. Um, They did find a creative way to get him the ball and throwing it, but they waited until they were down two scores to largely target him. And then the defense was just not perfect. But when your defense plays that well early in the game and – You don't take advantage of it. You kind of deserve to lose. And that was what I came away with here, Sam, in so many different ways, is there are games where you go, oh, man, wow, they played really well and it came down to one field goal or one fumble or whatever, and what a shame. This one, though, deserved to lose on so many different levels. It was not just that they lost to the Cincinnati Bengals. It's that the Bengals went three for 14 on third downs. The Bengals went for one of the most bizarre and senseless fourth downs I think I've ever seen up. I mean, I like going for it on fourth down, man, but up two touchdowns and you go for it and give the Vikings a chance to come right back in the game. Cincinnati did everything they possibly could to give the Vikings a chance, and, and they just said, no, 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 we don't want it in so many different parts of this game, Sam.
1: Yeah, if the Vikings had won, they would not have deserved it. And yet you're still allowed to steal a game in the NFL. Like the win would have counted. Style points don't matter. This isn't the March Madness Committee where strength of victory counts. I mean, it, you, you had a chance to win. You had a chance to right all of the wrongs if you just execute in overtime. And you mentioned it. The defense... I think in this game was was good. Like not even though they gave up 27 points, Rashad Breeland was singularly responsible for a lot of that. Um, I thought the pressure was pretty good all game. I thought Peterson was good. I thought the linebackers were good. Um, there there were a couple like serious issues um, with Breeland late in that second quarter, but I really thought they played great. And um, and c- Cincinnati scored six points on their final seven drives after they went up by 14. I thought Zach Taylor made some mystifying decisions on offense. It looked like Joe Burrow was maybe playing through something, but they totally took the ball out of his hands, even though he was starting to to really build some momentum. And I guess if you, if you want to knock one thing that maybe was a little concerning today on defense, it seemed like running the ball was a little too easy for Cincinnati at times. You expect to shut them down more when you have all that beef in the middle. They rushed for 150. And um, some poor tackling at times, like Breland was horrible. Um, Harrison Smith missed one. Daniil Hunter missed one and a handful of others. So you don't like to see that. But for the most part, um, I actually thought they played pretty well on that side of the ball.
0: Right. And Michael Pierce said after the game that they brought him here and Tomlinson here to stop the run. They gave up 127 yards to Joe Mixon, and he had quite a few very good runs in this game. It also seemed like in the second half that. I don't know for sure how injured Joe Burrow was, but they just did not want to throw the football outside of third down with Joe Burrow, and I thought that was another open door for the Vikings, and I think that's the part that as they fly home from this game they've got to be thinking about how many times did the Bengals open the door for him, and and they played well in a lot of spots. The last throw by Joe Burrow is majestic, and he had several others that I thought, oh my goodness. I mean, he really put the team on his back at different points in this game and made plays. The touchdown pass to Jamar Chase was flawless when he burned Brashad Breland. And I came away thinking Joe Burrow might be a great quarterback. And I know he's a number one overall pick and he should play well. But considering that the defensive line was getting push against his offensive line. And there were several times where he had to where he took a sack or where he had to rush a little bit. And yet he still found ways to make plays. But as he stopped throwing the ball later in the game for whatever reason, whether that was bad coaching or an injury after he got sacked by Daniel Hunter, it just allowed the door to be open for the Vikings and they semi kicked the door open. And and there's so many sort of little errors and mistakes and, and problems that we can go over. But I thought one of them was even the Vikings timeout usage, challenging the play at the goal line. Mm-hmm. When they have Delvin cook, they're going to be able to run it in and they challenge that play with Justin Jefferson. It doesn't come out, even though it looked like it should have been a touchdown that doesn't turn out. And then they use another timeout to read the defense. And even though I think it turned out to be a good play after that, they used the timeouts that, so they didn't have enough time to get in the end zone at the end, just in time to put uh, Greg Joseph in field goal position, which was a good drive for them, but they didn't have a chance to win the game because they gave up those timeouts. So there were a lot of different things like that. Um, So as we're just sort of buzzing around to different spots in the game, uh, did you think Delvin cook's fumble was a fumble?
1: no, no, I didn't. Um, th- this was one of those cases where I think twice the Vikings were on the wrong end of a call, but based on the criteria that the league uses to overturn, I think the correct call was made because the look was not definitive enough in either case. Now, when Jefferson crossed the goal line, uh, they only had a look from behind and in front, but they didn't have anything down the goal line, which I think is crazy. How is that not a built-in camera that like sits sort of a little way above the field so no one's blocking it and goes straight down the goal line thought that was weird and as you said cost them a timeout because they went to overtime and accomplished that field goal at the end i don't think that's a huge second guess um considering they started at the three yard line it was going to be hard for them to traverse the field you know in in that case and score um but the the dalvin cook fumble at the end um, I think if it's called down on the field, it stands and I can see why it stood in this case, because there were, there were body parts in the way at the exact moment when the ball was stripped free, uh, you couldn't exactly piece together that exact moment. And I think they were obligated to, to keep it with Cincinnati. And I think the officials were guessing like in the moment when it happened, I think they were guessing. I don't think they had a view at the time and uh, they just didn't have a good view to overturn it. So I think the Vikings can, can certainly, you know, have regret over that call, uh, and be a little bitter about it, but it's in no way can you, you know, blame it all on the officiating when, uh, you put yourself in that
0: spot. Right. And I saw very little of that on Twitter of people blaming the referees, even for the penalty counts. I mean, all the penalties to me were well, Rashad Hill grabbed the guy up by his neck and tried to drag him (laughs) down or, or right. Or Oli Udo just like did a pro wrestling move on that guy. So you deserve that. Um, Bashad Breland's was a takedown. So he deserved that one. And all the false starts, what are you supposed to do to argue against those? And even with both reviews, I think that the way that it's set up is if it's obvious, you overturn it. If not, it's you go with what you're supposed to go with. And I think when you end up with this game where it's not the Fox number one, it's not the Fox number two, it's not Sunday Night Football or ESPN, you are not going to have... 5,000 camera views where you can get right in there and see that you're going to have a couple. And we've run into this a a few times. I remember finding this out a few years ago that like, oh yeah, they just use the TV broadcast. Like, wow, they're just seeing what we're seeing. I thought they had some, you know, super secret Roger Goodell cam or something, but instead it's just, if you can't see it, then they can't see it. And if I had to say with, you know, whatever, I don't want to say gun to my head is such a weird saying, but I'll say it anyway. Like if I had to say, was it a fumble or not? I would say. No, it was not. However, how can you overturn it with the views that we got? And, 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 and you know, the thing is, with Delvin Cook has had a few of these in his career. He nearly had one in the playoff game against New Orleans. But I don't know how you even look at this and say, well, Delvin, it was your fault because there were so many other things that happened in this game where they put themselves behind or did not take uh, advantage of opportunities that the Bengals gave them that you just thought, well, it's almost appropriate here. And I thought a tie would have made so much sense because both teams tried so hard to lose this one. Um, So now this is the part where we have to talk about Kirk Cousins, Sam. And uh, I'm just going to say this. That, of course, every football game, we're going to break down what the quarterback did and talk about his game. I just I thought that this was the most Kirk Cousins type of football game that you're going to see. Like he did not do anything spectacular to overcome the circumstances that he was given. And there were key points in the game where you went, okay, I guess it's third and 12 and you're going to throw it six yards as does happen with Kirk Cousins. He ends up with very good stats, 351 yards, two touchdowns, 106 quarterback rating. But I also thought that when they were down in the game, he brings them back. He gives them a chance. He makes some very good throws. The touchdown to Adam Thielen, where they sent everybody, and he got the ball out quick and accurate. They go in for a touchdown. So he played a, a role, but it wasn't his fault that they got down in the game. That was more jumping off sides every play. I don't know how you overcome that necessarily, but also it's that constant thing that we're always doing of going, well, you know, there were a lot of things that went wrong and he came up with enough to get them there. But when it was a big moment to win the game, they trusted Delvin Cook and he fumbled the football. So I just thought this was, it was sort of a very, this is what you expect from Kirk Cousins type of football game.
1: This performance will not change anybody's opinion of Kirk Cousins, right? I mean, even with the, the final drive, which, I'm going to give him credit. I thought that was a pretty stoic drive with no timeouts backed up at the free because the one before that caller and, and they're one play away from having this be the end of the game for them yep. because yep. Cincinnati had a third down. If they convert it, they win. Um, they didn't, but the previous drive was holding call, um, sack, no first downs even on the possession. Like it was the, that was the quintessential end of game cousins drive. And then he he gets blessed with another chance and actually looked really good. Uh, KJ Osborne, I mean, this—if the Vikings win, this is the KJ Osborne show. Oh yeah, I'm I'm so fired up about like how um, good he looked after all of the hype that I've given him. Thank you, KJ, for once for giving me like <laughs> credibility in this job. But um, I, I felt like that was a great, a really well-executed drive down the stretch. But you know, early in the game. Conservative um, skittishness in the pocket. I think he was up around five yards per attempt for about two, three quarters. Bumped it up to seven point two. Um, but if you look at Burrow, like Burrow was nine point seven yards per attempt. He was way more efficient with the throws he was asked to make. Um, and in Cousins' case, I think when he decided to trust his receivers, he was pretty good. He just he didn't do a lot of that early in the game. And we'll have to again watch the tape see if guys were open, but like when he threw it to Thielen in the first quarter um, on third down and Thielen was blanketed and just found a way to make a play. I felt like that's the kind of throw we need to see more often. And it's the kind of throw that cousins made more frequently when the Vikings back uh, was against the wall. So, um, and you know, more minutia, but some interesting things today too, like four wide receiver sets Yep. Um, on, on offense, Kubiak draws up a trick play. I thought that was all kind of interesting, but Um, Again, Cousins being behind the chains constantly in the first half is only going to make him look worse, but I don't know if he's the reason for those situations, so it's kind of tough to evaluate him.
0: Right. And, you know, he did a lot of the classic things where he made some really great throws. Uh, and then there's the time where he just lets Garrett Bradbury get walked right back into his lap. And that's kind of what Kirk does. And when he had time to throw, he made a couple of really great throws. And you have to give him a ton of credit for the final drive because they get down to fourth and four and he fires a ball into a tight window to K.J. Osborne and makes a great catch and sets them up for a chance at overtime. But they can't get it done and they and they get the ball right. They stop the Bengals. They get the ball. And it's like there is where you have to do it and they don't do it. So then it's well, okay, now we got the ball back again and that's where you fumble. There's just a lot of that always with this offense and with cousins. And I and I really truly think that uh, one of the hardest things to be consistent on offense is when you're getting pressure because pressure always goes up and down. One week, somebody can have a great performance under pressure. And then the next week they can have some turnovers or big mistakes. And it's just hard to do the same thing over and over again when you are behind the sticks, when you're getting pressure, all that sort of stuff. And that played out a lot today. I didn't think it was some horrendous performance. I didn't think it was some great performance. It was just sort of a middle of the road when Cousins gets behind two scores, he usually brings them back in some way. He usually puts up pretty good stats and he gave them a chance to win the game despite playing really, really badly. So, I mean, I guess we, we just, we have to do that thing where we break down the quarterback, but in this one, I I mean, what can you really say about it? Like, well, you know, he didn't Mahomes or Brett Favre and just overcome, you know, second down and 20 all the time, but uh, he also didn't You know, Andy Dalton or something and just, you know, throw underneath all the time and and ruin any chance to win the game. But I will say, though, Sam, I don't know whose fault it is. But when Justin Jefferson ends up with five catches on nine targets in the NFL in 2021, I just think it's a failure. I, I, I think it's an early failure that they did not have the ball in his hands in your scripted plays like right off the bat. And I know that they were talking about how the playbook shrinks when it's third and 22nd and 20, but this guy can do anything. He could beat anyone man to man coverage. This is a single high team. He was getting a lot of man to man coverage today. And there were just opportunities missed a couple of throws that weren't accurate to uh, to Jefferson and just not being able to get him the ball early in the first quarter. There were two targets, one catch for minus one yard. And then in your biggest moments, you're going to him. But you need him before that. You need to get ahead in the game with Justin Jefferson. And I just wonder, are you going to figure that out at some point?
1: Yeah, so I actually think a little bit differently about this today. Um, and you can you had more of the, the high vantage points in the press box. You probably saw more of the coverages. But when you've got Thielen working like he was and Osborne is getting open to And Jefferson, you know, he probably needs to get more targets than Osborne, certainly. But when you've got three guys that combine for, you know, almost 250 yards, that's not a bad day through the air. And to be honest, I thought Jefferson, I thought he missed some opportunities. Like, you expect him to be a contested catch beast in any tough catch that was available today. um, And a couple of those were Cousins' fault, like minor overthrow thrown behind him. So it's not 100% blame, but he didn't reel in a lot of tough ones today, and I felt like if he makes a couple of those throws or those catches, he's probably at 100 yards, and we probably aren't having this conversation. So I'm going to push back slightly on the Jefferson stuff um, and also say that when he's got the ball in his hands, he's really good, and um, I think he should have gotten the touchdown on that that yak.
0: So my point is that it's not about the total that everyone ends up with. It's about... Get the ball to Jefferson early in the game and use that as a driver for your offense. Because last year, Jefferson had twice as many catches in the second halves of games. And that was because they would get down in the game and then they would go, oh, yeah, like we need to desperately throw it to Jefferson. And then he would make plays and score touchdowns and be great. And it was the same deal today. Like this was a 2020 Vikings football loss. This was not a, this is, you know, everybody said, oh, this is the 2021 Vikings. Everything is in the past. No way. This was the loss to Dallas. This was the loss to the Bears. It was the same look for them of, well, we're going to, you know, make mistakes early. We're going to have drive stall early for whatever reason. And then we're going to discover Justin Jefferson later in the game and get back in it. And I think that that can't happen. So there's some nuance to the point. It's not just throw it to Jefferson every time. Uh, It's that... They, they had to wait yeah. to do it. You know what I mean? And
1: I, and I will say, too, that when I think on the first four first downs of the game, Dalvin Cook got the ball. Um, yeah. Two yeah. of them were runs. You know, two of them were like very short passes behind the line of scrimmage. But that's that's very predictable. Dalvin Cook might be your most talented offensive player, but passing is still better. And Justin Jefferson, I think, has proven that he needs to be in that mix. Like he needs to, as you said, be the starter. Sometimes Um, don't have it always be Dalvin. And there was a lot of Dalvin reliance early in this game, kind of running up against a pretty stout run defense, to be honest. Um, The the Bengals were really good at stopping cook. And once again, the Vikings are about a quarter too slow to adjust to a more pass happy offensive uh, scheme.
0: I just wanted to say um, before I get to kind of the big picture with you on this, Jamar chase seems to be able to catch the football. Wow. Wow. Uh, he was good. Uh, like ex- extremely explosive in this game. Just ran by Bashad Breeland a couple of times. Snatched some footballs out of the air. Like this Cincinnati team, you, you might have not liked how it looked because of their coaching, because of their weaknesses. But you see the bones of something actually quite good. And uh, I wonder, I always wonder when I, when Vikings fans are watching these games, if they see a number one draft pick quarterback and a great Receiver who's drafted high and they think like, well, we kind of know who everybody is and what everybody is. And they don't. And there's got to be something exciting about that. So I did want to point that out that I was in Ubers around Cincinnati the last couple of days. And every Uber driver was like, Joe Burrow's great, man. He's great. He's going to be so good. And I thought, well, we'll see how it looks. And he looks fantastic, I thought. And so, you know, you add Jamar Chase to that. Mixon was good. Um, it was kind of an exciting team to watch, even though I think they won't have their coach for a very long time. So was there anything else you wanted to point out before we go big picture on this?
1: Oh, man, there's so so many things, and yet I can't pinpoint any one thing. I mean, if you th- think about the, all the new pieces that they incorporated, I think the only big kind of whiff for today is Breland. Yeah. I mean, Breland is probably the GOAT on defense, and the other 10 guys were fine. Like, I didn't really have an issue. Um, the, the defensive rotation I thought was pretty interesting. They used um, a little more of a 3-4 style at times. They had Wanham. And Hunter on one side, they had Griffin and Richardson inside. So uh, Mike Zimmer, and he alluded to this in the Star Tribune interview for today, that they're gonna they're gonna unveil some more of that stuff this year. So that is something to watch going forward. Certainly not um, in the top, you know, ten talking points from from the game, but X's and O's, you know, during the week to kind of ask around about that. I think is kind of the that, that'll that'll satiate the, the real hardcore football people
0: yeah definitely the way that they use the defensive linemen was something that we have never seen before from mike zimmer with the amount of different looks and different personnel and who's lining up inside outside even sheldon richardson was at defensive end Daniel hunter took a couple snaps on the other side today and michael pierce getting two sacks he said for a guy that has three career sacks two in one day felt pretty great and there there was a few plays i mean he just threw a guy and had a tackle for loss in the backfield or played a big role in one he had another sack that was really impressive that he straight up caused and i thought pierce was probably their best defensive player today other than you know eric hendricks is always um terrific uh greg joseph 53-yard field goal with the pressure on. Had to kick it twice. How about that? Greg Joseph struggled on those long field goals. Uh, Just another interesting note about that last play from Cincinnati. Mike Zimmer said they practiced that and they knew that that could happen and they just didn't get it like that, that the other team executed better than them, which was an interesting little note because the way that it was lined up, they were stuffing everybody in the middle, and I don't think Joe Burrow would have gotten the QB sneak, so they made the perfect call at the right time, and he made a tremendous throw. Um, but that was just kind of an interesting little nugget that uh, we picked up. Also, Jordan Berry, good for you, man. His one punt that went 63 yards and pinned Cincinnati back really gave the Vikings a chance To win the game. And so I guess he deserves a little shout out because I thought outside of maybe the first punt, he had a really good game and and they picked him up, obviously, to let go. Britton Colquitt. But big picture, Sam, this was the game that we said, look, you really can't lose this. But if you do, it depends on how it looked. And it looked super ugly. And week one does not always tell you the truth about who a team is, but a lot of the things that were problematic. For the Vikings in preseason, the offense not really being connected or looking like they had gelled, um, the offensive line having so many questions, not really sure how Bashad Breel or Patrick Peterson would look, as far as I know, Peterson had a good day, uh, but just maybe not a perfect defense with some flaws, so if the other team plays well, they can score on you, they can move the ball on you. It looked kind of how we thought it was going to look, except for worse with the penalties, and... Going to Arizona after they just had a great day, you should be very concerned about where this is going to go to start the season because this is not a team that I think goes 0-3 and then says, hey, we're good, guys. We're just going to bounce back. I just don't see this team having that fortitude to be able to do that, uh, even if they have some easier games that come up against Detroit and Carolina. So now it becomes early in the season. We are only going into week two, but it's Arizona is a big deal because of the way they lost this one. And it's one that we could ultimately look back at and say, just like we did in 2018 with the loss in green Bay that you started out with, we could look back and say, yeah, that that Cincinnati game that they let slip through their fingers. That's what Mm -hmm. cost them a playoff spot. Like that was going through my mind today.
1: Uh, Next three opponents, Arizona, huge road win today. Very convincing. Seattle, big road win at Indianapolis. Very convincing. Cleveland currently leading at Kansas City by 12 in the third quarter. So wow. that's what's coming up. Um, that it's not going to get easier for the Vikings. I think if, if there is such thing as momentum in the NFL, you can take a lot of good away from the second half and just burn the tape of the first half. I mean, it was continuation of preseason levels of ugliness, the, the lack of execution, the mental errors. I would have loved to have Phil Rauscher mic'd up. I can't imagine what was going through his head at that point with all five of his offensive linemen melting down. Like they've never heard crowd noise before CJ ham with two quick false starts. I mean, when CJ hams making mental blunders like that, just hard to wrap your head around. Um, now I, I want to couch all of this in. I've never gotten into overreacting. Like all of the tweets at halftime seasons over, I just I can't do it. Um, I've seen too many week ones that were misleading. I saw the 2014 Vikings you know, blow out the Rams in week one and then look horrible the next week. I saw the 2015 Vikings look horrible in week one and then blow out the next two teams and make the playoffs. And that, that's gone that way a lot of a lot of years. Um, so week one is goofy. I mean, you see a subpar product all over the NFL with teams that are tackling like for four quarters for the first time in nine months and it doesn't always look good so this was kind of the ugliness that i expected remember i had predicted a close game vikings by three in an ugly one and they lose by three in an ugly one and i I don't think i'm willing to make any big picture declarations until after arizona if arizona looks the same way and they're going home to face two playoff teams uh and staring at zero and three you know, then obviously the stats are completely not in your favor. The playoffs start to, to look pretty dim. And then we start talking big picture about Zimmer, Cousins, and Spielman. But, you know, until I see them fail again next week, I, I don't want to say that this is going to be indicative of the whole year.
0: No, I'm definitely not there yet. It just, going into the season, there was a feeling from us and maybe everybody, this has been a bad preseason in training camp from interpersonal parts to performance on the field out. You know, the defense was pretty good on daily basis in training camp, but the offense also really struggled. And then in the preseason games, they couldn't get in the end zone. And uh, this was a continuation of that. And when the concerns carry over, that's where you go. All right. Now, what are the fixes? Are there fixes to the fact that you have an offensive line that you've drafted a bunch of guys and it just – everything you seem to try doesn't work. So when is it going to work? How are you going to fix it? Because it wasn't just false starts. I mean, it was holdings. It was sacks. It was pressures. A lot was going on in that offensive line today that they – you know wanted to be better but lost Riley Reef move a tackle to guard and you're expecting him to be good right away so that continues to be an issue i think the defense is never going to be perfect at any point this year because it has enough flaws and enough talent to be good but not unbelievably good and if kyler murray and russell wilson and baker mayfield three very very good quarterbacks come out and play like they usually do they're going to, they're going to score points and you can't just like they did last year you can't just play every game from down 14 and then hope that you come back uh, when you finally start throwing it to Jefferson but to your point as we are speaking right now New Orleans is up 17-3 on Green Bay and I don't think anybody expected that Atlanta lost 32-6 I don't think anyone expected that Pittsburgh beat Buffalo on the road like there are a lot of odd things that happen in weeks one Tennessee I don't think is so bad as they were to give up all the sacks to Chandler Jones. So you you make a fair point that you cannot go crazy and say season's over, fire everybody, but you are behind the ball immediately, and you can't really stay there. You have to bounce back right away, or I think this team ends up in some trouble. So, Sam, uh, great stuff. I hope you enjoyed – who was it? Calling the game today, uh, Daryl Johnston and Chris Myers.
1: Chris Myers yeah. on Fox Sports.
0: Well, I was uh, at least inside. It was insanely hot outside, um, so maybe that played a role in the in the defensive line rotation. But I was in here, and everybody tried Skyline Chili at halftime. I did not. I just had a couple of hot dogs. I was not going to go there. I wasn't eating noodles and onions and everything else in the middle of a game that's already tense. I thought, I'm not doing that to my stomach. So uh, good stuff. We will talk again very soon on Tuesday. We'll do our usual Bring Me the News live stream, and uh, I will talk to you then. Thanks for your time, Sam.
1: Have a safe trip back, man.